what we're doing tonight is we're going to begin to study the book of Thessalonians. And uh, we're going to move through 1st Thessalonians, and then we're going to move through 2nd, and then we're going to keep going. And we're just going to keep on rolling through the New Testament. We've already covered um, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians uh, a while back, and now we're going to jump back into that study. And so Thessalonians, um, here's a map for you. So it was established uh, on Paul's second missionary journey, and then he passed through again on his third missionary journey. And you can see here on the map the different journeys, uh, his first missionary journey. The second one is the red one where he goes up uh, into um, this area, Macedonia and Thrace, and um, comes on back. And then his third journey, he kind of he kind of follows a different route, but he ends up through there again. And then what they're calling his fourth journey is his trip to Rome. So it was on his second journey in Acts 17. You can read about that. It's a section there uh, where Paul establishes this church and um, some of the things that happened there. So what I'm going to do is just try to give it a little overview of the book and then dig into chapter one. And we're going to make it through. There's only 10 verses. So hopefully we'll get through that. And I'll keep an eye on Paul on our time. So Paul is writing Five chapters, 1 Thessalonians, Silas and Timothy are with him. It's about 50 AD. Uh, he's not in prison in Rome, so he wrote this, they think, from Corinth or Athens, somewhere like that. Uh, Jesus died in 30 AD, so this is like 20 years later. So just kind of think about that, 20 years after Christ has gone and sent it back into heaven. Uh, and Paul, is what he's doing is clarifying some issues. Um, and these are some of the issues he's dealing with in this letter, uh, that God is among you, is the first chapter. Uh, his ministry, oh, that's just terrible right there. Let me, let me, I think I can make this correction right here. <laughs> Come on. Uh, all right, Paul's ministry among them, chapter two. The devil's plot to deceive, chapter three. Faith living is also in chapter three. And then the return of Jesus, which is uh, chapter four, great little section. In the first three chapters, Paul is longing to come back to them, to be with them. In chapter four, he talks about how to live a little bit. And then in chapter five, he really talks about the day of the Lord. And uh, it's a great passage of scripture about that. There's some notable information about Thessalonians. Let me point that out before we get into the book. Um, the ancient name was Therm, Therma, or Therma which has to do with hot springs, and there are hot springs in the area, and that's why they named it, apparently, Thessalonians. Mostly Jewish population at the time of Paul. One of the things he's dealing with is idleness. It seems to be, um, there seems to be a group of believers there that are part of the church that don't think that they need to do anything or serve or work. They, uh, the attitude is the end is near. Jesus said he's coming back. So we're just going to sit around and wait for that to happen any day now. And uh, so Paul, what he's doing is encouraging them to work hard and to serve the Lord until the Lord returns. Uh, and then the key passage is, it, uh, is, there's a key passage about Christ coming in chapter four and five, really um, big passage about that second coming. This uh, location is positioned uh, on the bay. And uh, it's on the Thermatic Gulf of the Aegean Sea. It's a major city of Macedonia. And here's where it is, right here. So this is Ephesus. You keep going to the right. You go back to Jerusalem. But Thessalonica sits right up here in this little gulf. 
and it's a beautiful place, beautiful city, right on the water, right where I would love to be. In fact, I might move there one day. All right, First Thessalonians. Let's dig it. So we're just going to read the chapter, and um, I'm just going to read through the chapter. There's only 10 verses, and then um, point some things out, and then at the end we can discuss if you got something you want to talk about or if something pops up in your head as we're going through this. Um, uh, write it down, and, and we'll talk about it at the end. So here we go. Chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, Silas, and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace and peace to you. We always thank God for all of you and continually mention you in our prayers. This is a lot of good stuff. As Paul, uh, as we read through this, just I'm going to read through it, but try to try to meditate on this a little bit and think about what's going on as Paul writes to these people and what's on his heart. Really, he's writing from his heart to them. And um, he's going to say some good things. Verse 3, we remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers and sisters loved by God, that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit and deep conviction. You know how we lived among you for your sake. You became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you welcomed the message in the midst of severe suffering with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. I love that. And so you became a model to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. The Lord's message rang out from you not only in Macedonia and Achaia. Your faith in God has become known everywhere. Therefore, we do not need to say anything about it, for they themselves report what kind of reception you gave us. They tell how you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God, and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. Woo! That's what we're waiting for, right? We're waiting for Jesus to come on back and rescue us from the coming wrath that's what we're waiting for right right everybody okay good i hope that's what we're waiting for and it's going to happen what's going to be cool is one day that's just going to happen <laughs> it's going to be like wow wow it's over like life is going to end in like like that uh one day and so um there's some uh, a number of takeaways that I just want to point out, kind of go back and, and uh, kind of think through this a little bit. Uh, so hopefully you got your word in front of you, and uh, we can kind of look at some of the verses as we go. We're going to kind of march right back through it again. So here you go. Takeaway number one. Number one, you don't have to go it alone. All right? Uh, Paul is not in this thing alone, right at the very beginning, the very first thing Paul it says is Paul, Silas, and Timothy to the church of Thessalonians and God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul, Paul is like surrounded himself with people. There's other people involved in Paul's ministry. There's other people in Paul's life. And he's got like the support of the believers uh, all around him, wherever he goes. He has, um, he has, 
made friends in a lot of places, um, which is kind of cool. I don't know. Some people don't move very often. Um, some people grow up in one place and stay there all their lives. And that's fine. That's cool. Uh, I could never do that. I just, uh, we have been on the move uh, a lot. And the, res and the good thing about that, there's, there's definitely pros and cons, but the good thing is you meet a lot of people. We have friends in a lot of places. And uh, that part of it is really cool. Um, there's a number of states that, that we have lived that we have good friends. And that's cool. And, and that's kind of, I think, how Paul probably feels as he writes these different letters to different churches is that there's people there that he knows personally that he has shared the, the gospel with. And, um, and that's cool. He's not alone. He's got the support of people around him. And that's kind of something we need, we need as well. Uh, you know, we need that in our life. We need people around us and sometimes that means we have to put ourselves out there a little bit. You can't, you can't hide and expect to have friends. You have to, we have to apply, you know, we have to put ourselves out there. We have to make things happen. We have to be willing to get out of our own little world and uh, let people in, you know, and, and be a part of other people's lives. That takes effort and it takes work. Uh, but it's something we all need. Um, if you agree at any time, you can throw up a uh, thumbs up. I don't see it here on mine, but you might see it on yours. All right, here we go. Number two. Uh, takeaway number two, prayer is about, you kind of get, thank you for that. I got, I got that. I see that hand. Uh, prayer is about a couple things. One, uh, thanks, thankfulness to God, and then lifting up others. So, you know, you think about prayer, and you think about a lot of times, you know, what am I praying about? And, and should I even be praying about these things? Is, is this the right way to pray? Like, are these the right things to pray for? Uh, I know, you know, we, we kind of get that straight in our head for a while. And then, then after a while, we begin to wander and we come back to, all right, what, what should I be praying about? And, and uh, the example like we get here in, in this letter of Paul is this, he go, he says, we always thank God uh, for all of you. Like, that's how he prays. That's that's a good prayer. Thanking God for the blessings, thanking God for whatever it is that that God is doing in your life. You know, being thankful for that is a good way to pray. That's a safe way to pray. Not, it's not selfish. It's not about me. It's about saying thank you, God. So that's a big thumbs up. And then he says, verse 3, we continually remember before our God and Father your work. And so he remembers, he's praying and he's lifting up people and he's remembering people as he's, you know, talking about prayer. So I guess, you know, those aren't the only things we should pray about, but those are two definitely things that we, we know are, are good to pray for, you know, being thankful and then lifting up other people. Number three, uh, evidence of God in your life. Uh, one of the takeaways from this, 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 this letter as we kind of go through these chapters is, um, and, and, and in this letter or, or this chapter uh, specifically, Paul points out a lot of information about, like, if God is in your life, there ought to be evidence. There should be evidence should be visible that people see that. In verse 3, he says, you know, we continually remember you before our God and Father. 
And then he says, your work produced by faith. I hear somebody. Uh, your labor <laughs> prompted by love. Your endurance inspired by hope in the Lord Jesus. And so, you know, Paul just says to these people, and remember we already said that he's dealing with idleness among the church. A lot of people who sit around and let other people do the work. That still goes on today. Uh, you know, in a lot of churches, it's uh, a small percentage of the people doing most of the work and the rest sitting around doing very little. And uh, Paul, that's, that must be what's going on there. And Paul is saying, no, that's not, that's not right. You know, uh, if, if, if your faith is in Christ, then your work should be pr producing something. Your love should prompt labor and your hope should uh, do something in your life and inspire uh, people around you and inspire endurance in your own life. Uh, and then, of course, all of this is in the Lord Jesus, he says. This is all in Christ. Um, let's see. Yeah, this last Sunday, I think we talked about in Christ. A lot of, a lot, I shared a lot of things that we have in Christ. And um, uh, if it isn't in Christ, it's outside of Christ. Uh, so, these are things that should be happening in our life in Christ. Hi, Edith. She can't hear us yet. Uh, these are things that should be happening in us as, uh, as God moves in our life, right? Evidence of God in our life. All right, number four. He says he has chosen you. In verse four, he says, brothers loved by God, we know that he has chosen you. That's a good word, uh, that God has chosen these believers, but not them only. Uh, but he says, we know that he's chosen you. And then he says, because, and he gives some, again, evidence that they're chosen. Evidence that God's living in them. Evidence that the Holy Spirit is alive and working in them. And he says, we know this by... Uh, not just with words, but there's action going on. There's power being demonstrated. The Holy Spirit is at work, and there's deep conviction. Uh, so just think about these things for a minute. And I hope somebody, uh, you'll, I hope you'll think about these, these four things, and that you'll have some comment about some of this at the end, because uh, I think that the not by words only is, is, is kind of uh, pretty simple. Um, because the gospel came to you not simply with words, uh, in other words, but it came with action. It came with, uh, with, with movement. It came with power, um, he says, but also with power, and it came to you with the Holy Spirit. And the deep conviction part is, is something that, um, I don't know that, I don't know that we see a whole lot of this. I think we see, what we see is we see a lot of deep conviction from other people out there in the world standing up for things that they think are important. But I don't know how much deep conviction we see out of believers, Christians. Uh, maybe, maybe, we, maybe you feel that in your own life, that this is who I am, this is what I believe, and I will never uh, bow down to anything else. And, that, and that's, that's deep conviction personally. But does anybody see the deep conviction that you have? Like, at, at what point do we as believers 
stand up for God? You know, at what point do we speak up? And what point do we engage like in the world for the sake of the gospel and for the sake of truth and for the sake of people that are lost and going to hell? Where's the conviction in our life that pushes us out there into the world to do something? I don't know that we see a whole lot of deep conviction these days. I, I, I wish we would see more of it. I wish we would see more of us with conviction, like conviction that drives you to do something crazy for God, like not, not just weird, but, you know, something for the Lord that is just not, just not simple and nice and easy and uh, predictable, I guess. Deep conviction. I like that. That's a tough one, but we need it. All right, here we go. Number five. Edith, can you hear me? Edith. Oh, she's not. She's not able to connect. All right, number five. Uh, Takeaway. He says in verses five, the second part of verse five and six, that uh, they were imitators of us and the Lord. Let's take a look at that real quick. He says, um, you know how he lived among you for your sake. Uh, you became imitators of us and the Lord. Now, that's really good stuff right there, right? He says, oh, I got it on the slide. You know how we lived among you for your sake. You became imitators of us and of the Lord. That's a good word. Uh, not just for the fact that these Thessalonians had someone to look to. You know, they had Paul and Silas and Timothy kind of modeling and imitating Jesus. They could see faith in action. Um, and you think about some of the things Paul did and Peter did. They, they were not afraid to, to be in the community, mixing it up with the world. They were not afraid to speak up. Uh, talk about conviction. They had it. Um, and they weren't afraid to get in trouble over it either. Uh, they weren't afraid to speak the truth. And, and do it in power and in love, but do it. Uh, and so he says, like, this is how we lived among you. You saw it. You know, we did this so that you would see what it means to be a believer. And uh, says, verse 6, you became imitators of us and of the Lord. So there's consistency, right, between the, uh, the apostles and Jesus. And now them, I mean, the believers in Thessalonia, are now imitating Paul and Jesus, and that's a beautiful thing. You know, maybe a question we should ask ourselves is, what about us? What about me? Am I imitating Paul and Jesus to that degree? Uh, and um, I don't know. Am I? It's a good question. Number six. Takeaway is um, we, they welcomed the message with joy from the Holy Spirit in spite of severe suffering. So that's what he says there in verse 6, the second part of verse 6. He says, um, beginning of verse 6, says, you, be, you became imitators of us in the Lord in spite of severe suffering. You welcomed the message with joy given by the Holy Spirit. And that's cool, right? I mean... Um, Maybe, maybe you could remember when you gave your life to Christ or that period of time in your life. Sorry. That period of time in your life where, where God 
kind of was reaching out to you and, and drawing you closer to him and, uh, and how you welcomed the message at that time in your life. Uh, and, and, th and that's hard to keep fresh. That's hard to keep that sense of passion that you felt like when God was working through people and working through circumstances and drawing you close to him. And, you know, some of you guys may have grown up in the church all your life. And maybe some of you came to know Jesus later in your life. I don't know. But um, there's something cool and uh, interesting about that that's, that's, that's unique. And these guys, you know, when Paul went and preached on that second journey and they heard the message, they welcomed the message and they did it with joy. Um, and it was a message that the Holy Spirit was at work. And that's, that's a key part of the message. You know, we share the message and we preach the message and we, we talk to people, hopefully, about the gospel. And, and not everybody's ready for it. Not everybody is at a place in their life where they're going to receive it or accept it. If the Holy Spirit isn't in it, it's not going to matter. It's not going to happen. The Holy Spirit has to be working in them for them to be drawn to God, to the message. We don't know if that's happening or not. Our job is to share the good news and pray that the Holy Spirit is working in their life or that they'll at least be receptive or at least maybe have a breakthrough. Maybe have a breakthrough. You know, sometimes, you know, uh, some of us are hard-headed, and there's a lot of people out there that are hard-headed, and so like it's like pounding on a wall, and, and eventually you get a crack, you know, and eventually then the crack gets a little bigger. Well, that's how a lot of us are, right? It takes, it takes the seed of God coming time and time again from different directions and different people, and, and, and we may just do our part, and we might be one smack on that wall, but eventually, hopefully, God is going to break through. Um, but these people, they welcome that message with joy. I hope we still do that. Like, we're eager to hear the word. We're eager to know the word. We're eager to share the word. And that God will do what we can't do. Uh, we can't be the Holy Spirit. We can't, you know, do that part. But we can sure share the message with joy. And we should. Number seven. He says, you became a model to all believers. I like that. Verse seven and eight. He says, uh, and so you became a model. Remember, they severe suffering. They welcomed the message uh, given by the Holy Spirit. And then they became a model to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. And the Lord's message rang out from you, not only, uh, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has become known everywhere. That is, that's a big statement, you know. That's pretty cool. And we got to ask ourselves, like, Burlington Christian Church, is the message ringing out? Is it being heard from, through us everywhere? Are people's lives being changed or touched in any way? Like, what kind of impact are we individually and what kind of impact are we collectively having on the people of this world? Are we modeling Christ uh, in a way that people are seeing it and hearing it? Are we, are we where we need to be? You know, we need to ask ourselves, are we, are we too, like right now we're all in quarantine, so uh, we can't help that, but like, are we too secluded prior to the COVID? We're, are we too secluded from the world? Are people even able to see 
Christ in us because we're there? Or are we just absent? Like, are we absent from the world? Uh, we need to be engaged. We need to be in the world. We need to be at places where people can see and hear and sense that something's different about us, that, that there's someone living in us that they don't have and they want. Uh, but that will never have, we will never model Christ to the world if we're not among the people of the world. We have got to go out there. That's why we need to read at the schools. That's why we need to do karate. That's why we need to do jazz, if we could ever do that again. And that's why we need to um, play softball and softball leagues and be involved in the community and coach teams and be among people. We got to be there. If we aren't, we can't model Jesus. Well, are we modeling Jesus for each other? That's not gonna that's not gonna win anybody. We already we already know Jesus. We need to model him to the world, the lost world, right? And that's where we need to be. And uh number eight, he says, uh takeaway number eight is you turned from idols to serve the living and true God in verse nine. Um he says this, for they themselves report what kind of reception you gave us. They tell how you, these are people that have watched their lives. They tell how you have turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. That's pretty cool, isn't it? I mean, hopefully, hopefully when you gave your life to Christ, uh, there were probably some things, maybe a list of things that you said in your own heart. I, I've got to, I've got to stop these. I can't keep living this way. I can't keep like focusing on these things and and worship God. I just they, they don't go together. They're like water and oil. And uh, maybe maybe for you, well, I know that's true for me. I know when I God was drawing me close to Him, there were things in my life that I knew I I needed to stop doing and give up and change I, not to win salvation but because because he's my father and, and I want to please him um, and that's what these people did they they realized that Jesus is the only true God and they had to turn away from the other things that they maybe once worshiped or followed or prayed to or you know whatever and you know once you once the living God has a hold of you, you don't really need anything else. There's no room for anything else. There's no need for it. You know, it's like being in Christ. You don't know who cares what's out there. You know, what's out there is nothing compared to what's in here, you know, in the kingdom. There's so much, we've got so much in the kingdom. There's it's senseless to go wandering outside the kingdom, looking for anything to fulfill you. It's just not going to happen. It's a waste of time. Uh, and, and number, um, number nine, he says this, the last thing in verse 10, he says, you are waiting on the Son of God from heaven to come back. And that's a big thing in this book or this letter. Um, he says, Jesus who rescues us from the coming wrath. Um, you know, that's, that, that, go, that should go a long way, that thought, you know, that, um, that we're waiting on Jesus to come back. You know, that we're really, I mean, we're really waiting on Jesus to come back. I mean, this is like, he went to heaven and he's preparing a place for us and he's coming back to take us to be with him one day and it could be any time. 
Um, and I know sometimes it seems like, you know, it's a long time waiting and, and we get distracted or we, we just don't think it's going to happen or we just kind of let it, it kind of, we push it way back. But these people in Thessalonia, they were, they were living like on the edge of their seat waiting <laughs> they, so to the point even that some of them weren't doing anything because they were thinking, we're just going to wait. Jesus is coming any minute now. Like uh, he said, he's coming and I'm checking my watch. He's on his way. There's no point doing anything. Jesus come back. So that's how they were eagerly like waiting for his return. Um, and, and, and the cool thing at the end of this letter is that, that, that or at the end of this chapter one, he says is Jesus they're waiting on Jesus, not somebody else, not the government, not whatever. They are waiting on Jesus, the person of Jesus, not rules, not religion, not some system. They are waiting on the very person of Jesus who came and died on a cross and went back to heaven. They are waiting on that person to come back and rescue us from what is coming, the coming wrath that is coming, that is going to wipe out the planet again um and that's huge you know that's a big deal that's a big deal well i think um if i could sum up this chapter in two thoughts it would be this number one he's i think what he's saying is that god loves us that that god loves us and he's proven it in a lot of ways and there should be a sense of thankfulness for what he's done that we're blessed in christ that that Jesus, you know, that Jesus is coming again, that there, our hope is still alive and well, and that, you know, what this world goes through and what this, where it goes in directions and what's going on on the planet is going to be so small compared to all of God and who he is and that he's coming again and what our future looks like. Our future doesn't even bring the world into it. This planet is going away. <laughs> you know, the kingdom and heaven is a whole new world. So these people are living like that. And, and God is trying to say to them in, through Paul is he loves you and he's coming for you to rescue you. Just keep your eyes on him. And the second thing I think this chapter says is that if he is your life, there will be overwhelming evidence in your life that that people that meet you there will be no question that you that you are a person of faith that you have put your hope in Christ and the the solidness and the confidence that you live with is evidence that you you answer to a higher power that there is a there is a god at, at work in you that will overcome anything that this world will ever ever throw at you um and that your life you know the things that we do our actions and our our labor and our our service and the things that we're focused on and how we live will prove it'll be the evidence the overwhelming evidence that god is a part of our life that it'll be without any question uh that he is in us